It's time for another hot lap from the Horsepower Heritage Podcast. I'm Maurice Merrick. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to follow the podcast, tell your friends about it, and leave me five stars and a quick review. Well, you might hear I'm a little froggy on this end. I'm getting over a little bit of a cold, but uh, don't let the gravel get in the way. And uh, today we're talking about Monterey Car Week 2021. It's officially begun, and Car Week is chock full of amazing car gatherings, auctions, swap meets, vintage racing at Laguna Seca, a little something for everybody. But the granddaddy event is the Pebble Beach Concord Elegance, which is marking its 70th anniversary. So today I thought I'd give you a little rundown of the featured classes in the Concord this year. And that's coming up right after this. Horsepower Heritage is celebrating its first anniversary, and I'm teaming up with Model Citizen Diecast to give away a 143rd scale model of the new mid-engine Chevrolet Corvette C8. And here's what you have to do to enter. Step 1. On Instagram, follow both Horsepower Heritage and Model Citizen Diecast. Step 2. On the Horsepower Heritage Instagram page, look for the yellow Corvette in my posts. Step 3. In the comments on that post, tag both Horsepower Heritage and Model Citizen Diecast. And finally, tag two friends. That's it. Follow us, tag us in the comments on that post, and then tag two friends. One winner will be selected at random. The contest ends August 15th, 2021 at midnight Pacific time. And for all sorts of collector-grade scale models, from race cars to 4x4s, visit ModelCitizenDieCast.com. They stock high-quality products from 143rd scale all the way up to the ginormous 1/8 scale masterpieces from the Amalgam Collection. Use the code HERITAGE at checkout for 10% off your order. Limitations apply. Model Citizen Diecast, because your inner child still wants to play with cars. All right, well, let's talk about this year's Pebble Beach Concours. But first, a little bit of history. The geography, climate, and incredible scenery of the Monterey Peninsula has always made it a special place, and it's been a playground, of course, for the rich and famous since the 1880s. It's a magical place. It's full of beautiful homes, scenic drives, especially in an area called the Del Monte Forest. Now, after World War II, there were quite a few new sports cars on the market, right? And the recently founded Sports Car Club of America was organizing races all over the country. Starting in 1950, they organized the Pebble Beach Road Races, which were held on a 1.8-mile course through the Del Monte Forest. So European cars like Jaguars and Ferraris were entered, but plenty of American specials made history there too. And along with the races, they had a display of the latest and greatest new sports models, as well as elegant pre-war cars. And in 1952, the show moved to the 18th green of what is now known as the Pebble Beach Golf Club. A fatal crash happened during the 1956 road race, and that prompted the construction of a new racetrack at Laguna Seca, which is not far away. But the concourse stayed at the golf club, and over the next seven decades, the most significant cars in history have been displayed there overlooking Monterey Bay. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. It is a rich man's playground full of cars that 99% of us will never be able to afford. And that's true. But would that stop you from visiting the world's greatest art museums? Think about Pebble Beach as an open-air museum of the world's greatest artwork on wheels. And it might be the only time in your life when you'll be able to stand right next to these legendary machines. So put it on your bucket list. Alright, now that the scene is set, let's talk about what's on the lawn this year. First up is a group of 40 previous Best of Show winners. 
There's only been a handful of modern era cars that have won Best of Show, so this group is going to be a treasure trove of pre-war cars like Rolls-Royce, Hispano Suiza, Duesenberg, Isada Fraschini, Alfa Romeo, and Bugatti. Two streamlined Bugatti Type 57 SC Atlantics will be there this year. Only four of these were ever built and only three remain, so the opportunity to see two of them at once is like seeing Halley's Comet. It's not likely to happen again soon. And by the way, hopefully we'll see the first full classic that won Best of Show in 1955, which is the late great Phil Hill's 1931 Pierce Arrow, which the Hill family has owned since new. And Phil Hill also won the road races that year, so he was a lucky guy. Now keep in mind that in those days, these cars were the finest and most expensive machines on the road, and they were often purchased as a bare chassis and sent to a coach builder for bodywork. So the style and craftsmanship are unparalleled, and often they're one of a kind. And next up is a class dedicated to the most famous Italian coach builder in history, Pininfarina. Battista Farina was born in northern Italy in 1893. He got his nickname, Pinin, because he was the baby of the family. He had ten brothers and sisters. He came from a family of coach builders, and he worked with his older brothers there until opening his own firm in 1930. Pinin Farina was successful almost immediately, but his work with Ferrari was the most prolific. So there's definitely going to be some incredible Ferraris on display. You can also expect to see Pininfarina entries from Maserati, Fiat, Lancia, but also, most certainly, several one-off concept cars. So that list could be really varied, like Nash, Packard, Cadillac, and maybe even the 1963 Corvette Rondinet, which is a very restrained design and, of course, very Italian, but somehow it's still unmistakably a Corvette, which is pretty cool. And I think this is going to be a class full of surprises. And anywhere but Pebble Beach, it could easily be an event unto itself. All right, on to the next class. And that's the Porsche 917. Now, this was an incredibly significant car for Porsche. And the lore around it is practically biblical for Porsche fans. The 917's development was overseen by the brilliant Hans Metzger, the company's chief designer, and he worked for Porsche his entire professional life, and he was the heart and soul of their racing program for many years. There were 27 of these cars built from 1969 to 1971. They were designed for endurance racing, and they were powered by a flat V12 that eventually produced close to 1,200 horsepower. The 917 gave Porsche its first overall win at Le Mans in 1970, and they repeated that victory the following year. And of course, this car was Steve McQueen's co-star in his film Le Mans, in that classic Gulf Oil blue and orange. Parts of the film were actually shot at the 1970 race, and McQueen himself drove in many of the scenes that were filmed at other points in the production. And as we all know, McQueen has become a folk hero in car circles. Now, all the 917s have well-known histories and they have distinctive liveries so there's much more variety than you might think and there'll be at least a dozen of them together including the 1971 Le Mans winner and five Gulf cars and some of the turbocharged 1200 horsepower Can-Am cars that came later 
All right, well, how many of you remember that iconic poster in the late 1980s of a white Lamborghini Countach? That kind of symbolized the decade for a lot of car lovers. I remember a lot of my friends had that poster. I didn't particularly care for it because I I always hated the body kit on the late Countach. But believe it or not, this year is the 50th anniversary of the Countach. So there's going to be a class devoted to it at Pebble this year. Now, the Countach was designed by the visionary Marcello Gandini. He'd worked for Bertoni for a little bit more than a year when the coach building firm assigned him to the Lamborghini account in 1966, and his first masterpiece was the Mura. And in just a few years, Gandini was really blowing minds and changing the course of the car industry because he came up with these incredibly futuristic wedge-shaped show cars like the Alfa Romeo Carabo and the Lancia Stratos Zero. And these cars were a really heavy and effective dose of the futurism that had begun to influence so many aspects of industrial design in the late 60s and early 70s. And they had an immediate impact on the public consciousness. So when Lamborghini decided to put a Gandini wedge into production for their next car, someone along the way who'd seen it and couldn't believe his eyes uttered in Piedmontese, Countage, which is basically the northern Italian version of wow. And the name stuck. I don't know, it might actually be kind of a dirty word in some circles, I'm not sure. But anyway, there are some really interesting design elements on the Countach. Of course, everybody knows about the scissor action doors. They lift up and they rotate forward. But there's also those low turbulence brake cooling ducts that are carved into the side of the body. Those are called NACA ducts, by the way. NACA is an acronym, National Advisory Committee on Aeronautics. It a NASA predecessor and those ducts are designed to reduce the turbulence of the air flowing in and the twin air scoops on the rear deck are really cool they feed dual radiators for the cooling system and then there's the element that became Marcello Gandini's design signature which is the asymmetric rear wheel arches so on the Countach the rear wheel arches follow a line that to me it looks exactly like the perfectly sculpted eyebrow of a supermodel on the cover of Vogue or something just an amazing swoop and he incorporated that into a lot of his designs now the Countach was produced from 1974 to 1990 so I have no doubt that the Pebble Beach Selection Committee has chosen the most outstanding examples of this car from the first LP 400 model to some of the wilder versions with those outrageous fender flares and rear wings which aren't really my thing but I can sort of appreciate them from a distance now Lamborghini is sending one of the surviving prototypes and also the very last car built is going to be there. The early Countach examples have always been my favorite just because I think they're the purest and I love the look of their deep dish turbine wheels and those period tires with the big fat sidewalls. One early car I know for sure is going to be there is a 1977 LP400 in metallic purple with a white leather interior. And that car was recently restored in Italy by Kidston Motorcars. And that's going to be amazing to see in person. By the way, if you don't follow Kidston Motorcars on Instagram or Simon Kidston, the proprietor, you're missing out. He's got fantastic videos and content. Free plug for you there, Simon. And finally, I'm really hoping that Marcello Gandini himself will be there. That would be the ultimate tribute to the Countach. And if anyone can pull it off, it's the Pebble Beach Concord team. Okay, next up, there's a class for very early electric cars this year. These are very likely names you've never heard of, like 
Pope, Waverly, Columbia, and Baker. And I have to confess, I'm just very, very shallowly acquainted with them. We're talking about machines that go as far back as the 1890s in this class, and of course most of them look much more like carriages than cars. And not surprisingly, even 120 years ago, the biggest topic was range. Some companies hung their hat on electric cars being for short-range city transport, and other companies were convinced that their fortunes would be made by producing cars with a range comparable to their gasoline-powered competition. Battery design and layout was hotly debated by engineers of the time, and naturally charging infrastructure was a big challenge. So I think it's fascinating that even though EV technology has made enormous progress, some things haven't changed all that much. It'll be cool to see these electric cars because they represent the dawn of the automobile at a time when we may be living through the end of the internal combustion engine, or at least the beginning of the end. All right, next up, have you ever heard of Harry Miller? Well, you may remember him from my hot lap episode about the Beverly Hills Speedway. If you haven't heard that one yet, check it out. Harry Miller was arguably the most innovative and influential American racing car designer of the 20th century. He was born in Wisconsin in 1875, and he was a natural mechanic and engineer, and he worked for Ransom Olds for a time, but he headed west to Los Angeles around the turn of the century, and he opened his own machine shop, and he began to design and manufacture carburetors, and and he even developed his own aluminum alloy for that purpose. And he also used it to cast intake manifolds and racing pistons. And pretty soon, Harry Miller became known as the man you wanted to see if you wanted high performance. By 1915, he was building entire engines. And within a few years, he'd hired Fred Offenhauser, a name you might know, and an engineer and draftsman named Leo Goosen. The three of them made for pretty much a dream team because they were soon designing engines from the ground up. And that included a twin overhead cam straight eight with four valves per cylinder. And they also designed and built entire single-seat racing cars with grueling attention to detail every step of the way. They added other innovations like front-wheel drive, hydraulic brakes, a centrifugal supercharger. And by the early 1920s, Miller's engines and cars were dominating championship racing in the United States. They had five Indy wins in that decade. And next came V12 and V16 engines for boat racing. Even Ettore Bugatti studied Miller's engines, and he incorporated elements into his own. Harry Miller retired in 1929, and he died, unfortunately, in 1943, a little bit too young from a heart attack. But Fred Offenhauser carried his designs into the 1950s. In fact, the Offenhauser IV, which was a cut-off version of the Miller Straight 8, dominated IndyCar into the 1970s. By the way, someday I'm going to do an entire episode on Harry Miller because there's so much more to say. But I think you get the idea of his impact on American racing, and even European racing for that matter. And guaranteed some of his finest creations are going to be on the lawn this year. Okay, well who doesn't like a big American V8 under the hood of a sexy Italian car? That's the next featured class, namely Iso Revolta. Renzo Revolta was an Italian industrialist, and he made refrigerators and then motor scooters, and then the famous little Isetta bubble car that he licensed to BMW. In the late 1950s, he decided to make big grand touring coupes instead, and the result was the Iso Revolta IR300 in 1962 with a 327 cubic inch Corvette V8, and then the next year a car called the Iso Grifo. 
Bertoni got the job for the coach work on these cars, and the work fell to Giorgetto Giugiaro, another legend. For the engineering on the Grifo, they got Giotto Bizzarini right after he bitterly resigned from Ferrari, and he was fresh from his work on the 250 GTO, which he left unfinished. And by the way, I'm not sure what part was unfinished, but maybe the front half, maybe the back, I don't know. Iso kind of struggled the whole way though, and with a tough marketplace for big GT cars, along with the 1973 gas crisis, they shut down production in 1974. But recently the brand was revived with a new car called the Iso Revolta GTZ, and this time it's got Zagato bodywork, and also what else but Corvette power. In fact, it's pretty much a Corvette under the skin, which is no slam because the Corvette is a fantastic car. 19 Iso Revolta GTs were built, and I'm sure that at least one will make an appearance at Pebble. All right, coming into the home stretch now, and the final featured class this year at the Pebble Beach Concord d'Elegance is a group of cars from the La Carrera Panamericana Mexican Road Race, which was held from 1950 to 1954. The La Carrera was intended to publicize the completion of the Mexican portion of the Pan American Highway, which runs north-south, of course. They ran flat out over five sections in five days for nearly the entire 2,200-mile stretch of road from the U.S. border in El Paso, Texas, to the far southern state of Chiapas on the Guatemalan border. The La Carrera was well known for many American entries from names like Cadillac, Hudson, Studebaker, and Lincoln, and they were mixing it up with teams running Lancias, Mercedes-Benz Gullwings, and Ferraris. European-style road racing in North America is a very exciting concept, but the La Carrera was also just as dangerous with multiple fatalities over the four-year run. Eventually, the Mexican government ended the event after it felt like the promotional value seemed to be fulfilled and safety was becoming an issue in motorsport worldwide. So it's a brief but thrilling chapter in racing history and I'm looking forward to seeing some of that big American iron. Racing Cadillacs from the 50s. And of course, besides all these great featured classes... There are other classes to see. Antique, European Classic, American Classic, Duesenberg, Mercedes-Benz, Rolls-Royce, and others. So if you can't make it to Pebble Beach this year, you can watch a live stream of the Concours courtesy of Haggerty Insurance. Just go to pebble.haggerty.com and click Watch It Live. There's a button on the top left of the page. I'll be at the Concours myself, and I'm going to share some photos on the Horsepower Heritage Instagram page, so check that out. That's all for this hot lap, and don't go away just yet because I need to let you know I'm going to take next week off, but Horsepower Heritage will return on Wednesday, August 25th. Don't forget to follow the podcast, click that five-star rating, and leave me a review. And if you want to support the show in another way, you can chip in over at buymeacoffee.com. Just look in the show notes for a quick link to that page. All right, so next time, you guys, I promise there won't be so much gravel in my voice. Although I kind of do like it because right now I can go low. Until next time, I'm Maurice Merrick. Thanks for listening.